I'm George Siegel, and this is the Move the World podcast. Every week, we feature interviews with people dedicated to making the world a better place. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's Move the World podcast, where every week we introduce you to people who in their jobs or in their lives are doing something to try and move the world. And my guest today is somebody who's got a, a big task with how he's trying to move the world. Troy Carter is the CEO of Earthshot Labs, which is building the technology for planetary scale ecological restoration, which is certainly a big task. Troy, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, George. Okay, Troy, it, it, a lot of this stuff, I was looking at the website, I was reading about what you do, and um, it's a lot of great pictures, there's a lot of great ideas. So tell me what it is exactly that you guys do uh, to yeah. try to move the world. Yeah. So I probably don't need to convince anyone listening right now that the world is facing some pretty big challenges. There are multiple systemic collapses in ecology. We see that with the climate crisis and natural disasters and a whole bunch of disruptions in systems. So Earthshot Labs is an attempt to identify high leverage points to use technology to incentivize ecological restoration at a scale the world has never seen. And we're doing a few things. The first is building a global open source ecological simulator. This means we need to be able to measure nature in order to incentivize for it, create policy around it, and have landowners actually make different decisions. Because the biggest contributor to climate change by far, and also the biggest solution set, is in nature, is in forest, is in ocean, is in soil. And so the first step is to measure it. And we need a globally coherent way of measuring in order to build trust within uh, markets and with incentives. So we're building a global ecological simulator. This is a supercomputer level model using physics and machine learning and satellite imagery and ground truth data to have to give everyone on earth access to the information they need to make decisions. That's part one. Part two is what I just said is giving everyone access. Cause right now there are a bunch of models. Like we, we sort of know how to measure nature pretty well. And all these academics and institutions around the world have developed great models but no one has access to them in a way that's actually useful. So Land OS is a product that we're building to give every landowner on earth the information and the monetization pathway to do land restoration in a profitable way. And the third thing we're doing is realizing, hey, this actually isn't a software problem. This is like a physical problem, like real trees, real soil, real animals. And so we're also doing on the ground operations. We're starting out with a 14,000 hectare reforestation project in Panama, and then expanding that model all around the world to build, to make land restoration an investable asset class so that we can, rather than putting like sort of small amounts of philanthropic dollars at this, we can move much, much larger pools of capital into doing conservation and building regenerative livelihoods and systems that work for people and for animals and for plants. And um, yeah, that's what we're doing. Okay, now I recently made a, a documentary film that was called The Last House Standing. And in there, we talked to a number of scientists that talk about climate change and how it's affecting the world and how we're seeing more extreme weather, um, a, a lot of issues from it. 
Unfortunately, what they also don't tell us and, and what I really want to hear from you. OK, how does this start to make a difference? Because we all can if we all acknowledge there's a problem. And even if you want to be one of those people that says, no, I don't believe in it. The climate's always changed. You can't deny we're getting major disasters and problems forests are disappearing. So how do you measure what a difference is when it seems like it truly is trying to move the world, pushing a boulder uphill uh, because you don't see change right away. So how do you notice a difference? Yeah, totally. And also to acknowledge, like we get this question a lot, like some, an individual person who's like, what do I do to make a real impact on climate change or on ecology. And usually I'd say, we don't have a good solution right now, but that's what Earthshot Labs is trying to do through Land OS. So when we release it, which is in the next few months, every land on our earth will be able to meaningfully engage with the climate crisis in a way that affects their own land or land that they help uh, do essentially a carbon project on, reforestation or water restoration or avoided deforestation. And more than that, over the coming few years, we believe that Earthshot can be something more around a movement where we'll be releasing tools for people who don't own land or maybe live in cities to be able to. So the first thing we're working on is called Biome. It's an app that allows citizen scientists and individuals to collect valuable tree stand data. So they basically take pictures of trees or use the LIDAR and smartphone to scan trees, do species detection, and that builds a really crucial data set for us to be able to understand nature. And that's sort of like a utilitarian thing, like, oh, maybe that's not super exciting. You're just measuring trees and getting species. Um, but in the future, over the coming year, we'll be expanding that into more like a game where I think Pokemon Go for nature, where you're taking pictures of trees, but then you get rewards and you build a garden and you have 500 million 10 year olds running around building valuable citizen science research, um, which is a much more compelling vision and you know solving climate change has to be fun otherwise no one's going to do it and uh sure if you're getting yelled at or lectured it's kind of hard to really motivate to do anything but my my next question would be how do you restore something when we continue to destroy things so if we're continuing Mm -hmm. to pollute the atmosphere and let's say the united states cleaned up their act and and stopped doing it but china and india continued to do it how would we make a difference if everybody doesn't do it? Is it all in or can you do this in little bits at a time? Well, first of all, I wouldn't blame China and India on this problem. China and India are not real things. People on the ground are making real decisions. And so this is a very multi-layered challenge and something that it's it's hard it's hard to simplify that okay the U.S. and Europe are have have gotten together and we've reached a level of technological progress and systemic uh, progress that we're doing it better than other places, which is patently not true. For one, the solution set for climate around technology, electrification, um, you know, transportation, buildings, uh, renewable materials, these make up only a small percentage of the actual change that needs to happen maybe up to 70% of the change needs to happen with forests and with soil and with oceans. And these are, for sure, we need globally coherent policies. So when the, actually it's usually the US now that's stepping out of global uh, climate agreements. So we need for sure re-enter global climate agreements and have coherent global policy. Um, 
wow, there's no easy answer to say, hey, some people need to do it and some people don't. I mean, the truth is we're in this together. So one is the shift in consciousness to acknowledge we are in this together. There are no competitors. There are no enemies in this fight. We are all on one planet. And if we don't solve these crucial issues, the future of humanity looks pretty short. And so that's some pretty strong motivation. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it seems like the challenge is if everybody acknowledges there's a problem, the, the problem is then when you go to the next step, it's like, okay, so how do we fix it? What do we do that will make a difference? I think that's where a lot of people kind of, kind of scratch their head because maybe they don't think they can make a difference. Yeah. So on, on an individual level, that's definitely the case. There's, there's a lot of helplessness. Um, I mean, at, at Earthshot, we're trying to give everyone on Earth like a meaningful way to engage through the consumer app biome and through Land OS for landowners. Um, and maybe that expands to more like ways to use your money to do good as well. Um, but there are also many other companies working in these areas. Another layer is governments and corporations. So how do corporations become responsible and how do governments become responsible? You know, let's take a quick case scenario. Like imagine the governor of California and California has got a big water crisis right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a pretty risky scenario to try to make water policy when you don't know what will happen when you make that water policy. So we need to be able to provide a compelling ecological simulation so that when we do all this water restoration work and revegetation, that we can show that the rainfall changes, that we can show groundwater changes, we can show total water supply increases. And if we can show compelling scientific simulation of how land restoration meaningfully affects water availability, reflects, uh, like improves agriculture, improves people's livelihoods, that sort of de-risks the future. And then we can make the policy. Um, but until someone gives that like scientific backing, like no one's going to go out on a limb and say, oh yeah, we're going to build a bunch of swales and little ponds and change water policy in the way we you know, ship water and canals and pipelines across the states. Um, and that's a scientific problem. And it's a problem that we can now solve that we couldn't solve before. Do you, do you think when people see things like we see stories of the polar ice caps melting, um, in the United States, a real world example is all the wildfires the last uh, several years, all the forests burning down. How does that all come into play in people's minds when they look at this problem? Yeah. So one, I'm really optimistic because I see the level of cultural will directed at ecological restoration is massive now. Like everyone I talk to is like, oh yeah, Thank you for working on this problem. It's totally vitally needed. There's like not a single person that's like, uh, you know, I don't like trees. Um, it turns out we all care a lot. And when we see proof of the planet's ecology degrading, we're impacted by it. Like even if, even if we're disconnected from something abstract, hey, you know, seeing a forest fire, seeing the smoke in the air is real. It's like it affects your quality of life immediately. So I think unlike any other period that humans have seen before in recent history, like we're getting evidence right in front of our face. And the fact that we're like, okay, where are the solutions? Where are the solutions? You know, I talk to banks and investors every day and there's so much money that wants to go to address this problem. And in general, that money doesn't know where to go. And so 
I'm not saying that we know where the money should go yet, but we're building the systems to inform where all that money should go because we've spent a long time converting nature into money and now we need to go the other direction of it. Yeah, it seems like a lot of it is people not knowing how it's going to make a difference. Like if you say you're going to go clean up a beach, for example, and you pick up trash and you do something that when you're done, you can see what you've collected and the difference that you've made. But if you said, well, let's go restore a forest or let's, you know, improve the water, the, you know, the, the kind of water that's available in this area, it just seems like such a big task. So with what you're doing, it's going to simplify those things or give people a path to understanding how to do it. Yeah. So basically we all, we all know what a clean stream is or what a clean beach is, but being able to provide metrics that says, here's how clean the beach is. Here's like, here's how much carbon the forest is sequestering. Here's the level of biodiversity in this forest. Here's the level of soil carbon, soil organic carbon and soil health. Um, here's the quality of water cycle on this land right now. To be able to provide concrete quantitative metrics on these areas, reduce you know, in a way, reduce ecology to understandable numbers so that we can make policies to optimize those numbers. That's what's required to direct a trillion dollars of investment back into nature. Until we have that, sophisticated investors are going to be like, uh, I have a hunch that nature is important, but eh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for a little bit. And because I don't really know what risks I'm taking. I don't know who's going to pay for it. I don't know how I'm going to make money off this. So we're not asking you know, policymakers or humanity at large to descale in any way. We're actually saying we can find ways for human beings to re-enter the cycle of ecology and be part of the ecosystem, be of benefit to the ecosystem. And while that transition is happening, not destroy more nature. And we can provide solid metrics on how individual landowner actions, when one landowner makes a pond, how that affects all the other land around it, how that affects vegetation potential. And then also take country level information. So like we have a big thesis around Australia, for example, and also the Western US of like, these are areas where water restoration could be massively impactful on a, on a global level on a global level for temperature, on a global level for revegetation, for carbon sequestration, on a country level for you know, profitability, for agriculture, for total resource availability. And then for individual landowners, like, yeah, I have enough water to do agriculture. Um, so to be able to do landscape level restoration requires sort of a computational understanding because one guy, who understands permaculture very well can't design Australia. But what we think is that taking those principles, putting them into a computer and having them spit out results that says, here's the sort of policies you should have and here's the sort of interventions you should do at this landscape level. That's something that is scalable and uh, has never before been possible. Now you said something that was interesting when I, I was listing like the worst polluters. So you're saying it's not about calling out abusers. It's more about trying to solve it from the other end. So if you point at a nation and say, well, these guys, look what they're doing to the environment. Um, how do you avoid doing that, though, if it's such a problem? I mean, it just okay. seems like that that would be one of the problems you'd want to call out. I mean, here's a classic example. Indigenous group in the Amazon that works for the logging company that is destroying their forest. Why would they do that? 
Well, they do that because that's the best available alternative for them to provide food for their families. Um, and if you needed food for your family, guess what? You would cut down the forest too. And so there are numerous systemic reasons why the climate crisis exists. And the solutions that we propose have to address the real causes rather than just the symptoms. And the symptoms are there are too many greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. That's not the cause. That's sort of approximate cause for some heating and sort of for some like weather disruption. But the real underlying causes are these systemic um, incentive structures that have people not able to really care for the land where they are. And underlying those systemic structures are a narrative about what it means to be a human being right now. Anyway, why are we trying to optimize for 12% private equity returns? when maybe the, when the LPs, they actually already have enough money. So there is also something underlying there being enough. So the feeling of like deep satisfaction and satiation and celebration of life. And that's not something that you can buy. And this comes from a network of deep relationships of intimacy with non-human nature and a sense of place for human beings in this time that is something we need to deal with at a cultural level. I mean, I guess if all that was accurate, if, if it's not about pointing fingers and, and changing people's habits, but it sounds like it's more about working with what we have and making people more aware, um, would that be a fair summation of that? I mean, a, a fair understanding? It's all of it. You know, we need to be working on a systemic level to change financial incentives um, and resource extraction. And we need to work on a way that improves human relationships and the coherence of communities. Um, but we can't expect to wait for community coherence to emerge and then solve the problem of relationship with nature. We have to identify what are we aiming for in 30 to 50 years about how the planet looks and then build structures based on that and not wait for everyone to be able to make individual decisions. We actually have to take, like governments and individuals have to take leadership positions of saying, this is how we want the earth to look and we are going to design systems. And that is essentially why Earthshot Labs exists because we have conviction about how we want the earth to look. And it looks different than it does now. It looks more in ecological harmony. It looks like humans having a positive impact on ecology versus a negative impact on ecology. It means more wealth for everyone, not less wealth for everyone, more wealth for everyone based on the systems that we can introduce. And that's, that's like a leadership role to take on because not everyone has the ability to think for others in a systemic way where they can actually go design systems. So I'll give you a very concrete example. Carbon markets where corporations pay landowners to restore forests and pay them in carbon credits. Right now it's a pretty good system, but it's not a great system. It needs to scale up to become really large and really efficient so that more payments can be made to landowners. This is a concrete product vertical that Rashad is working on to make that system really efficient and do conservation across millions and millions of acres. And that would have real impacts for 
small farmers all around the world and be able to provide food security and get paid to do conservation. That would be a good result. So that's what we're working on. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest. I mean, it seems like working with people as opposed to calling them out seems like a lot better strategy because you're giving them an incentive as opposed to just making them feel bad for what they're doing. Um, In in our film, The Last House Standing, one of the things that one of the climate experts said was, we can't stop climate change, but we can slow it down. And if you took that philosophy to what you guys were doing and and everybody kind of got it bought in on this, do you think we can slow things down and and uh, and actually make the world ecologically better? So I think there's a few different issues here. One is slowing down climate change and another is making the world ecologically more resilient. And humanity can deal with climate change. We're, we're a little bit too far, like climate change is happening and it will continue to happen even if we stopped doing everything we're doing right now. So. The next 10 years, next 20 years are going to be pretty rough for a lot of people. Probably hundreds of millions of people will have to move for various reasons. And so slowing down is good probably to give people time to adapt, but it's really about resiliency, right? Like life is, can be very resilient if we let it, right? You take a nap, you take a field, you just deforest it. Guess what? If you don't do anything else, it'll regrow. Um, and that's really cool. Like life wants to grow. And all we have to do is let it. And there are very few interventions we need to make. And there are some specific inventor interventions we can make to help it. But it's really about stopping actively destroying nature. We can stop deforestation. We can stop inefficient land use conversion where we're you know, cutting down native forest to put on cattle and soybeans to feed the cattle. Like it's just not necessary. There are better ways to do agriculture. And um, so what would be an example then if you wanted to say, okay, I'm doing this and we moved to the world, we made a difference. Describe success. What, what would you call mm-hmm. something that would happen that would make you feel like we're making a difference? Yeah. I would love to live in a world where old growth forests are totally normal. Where it's just like, yeah, I have an old growth forest. It's my backyard. Um, I would love to live in a world like that. I would love to live in a world where cities feel, where the cities are beautiful, right? Where it's not quite as loud and, you know, humans are inhaling all these noxious gases and the architecture is, is like offensive to the senses. Um, where it feels amazing to be in a city, actually even better to be in a city than a forest because you're with all your friends and you get to see all these people all the time. It'd be amazing. Um, Another is that when I go diving, uh, I see a lot of fish on the coral reefs. Like, wow, it's just incredible. I see a thousand different colors in one, one scape. 10 years ago, you could do that. Guess what? You can't do that anymore. Like you, you you wanna go scuba diving now. It is very rare to find a healthy ecosystem anywhere in the ocean. Even 10 years ago, you could find beautiful, amazing, healthy ecosystems, and now you can, can't find them anywhere on earth. So, you know, Earthshot Labs exists because of an intrinsic love for nature for its own sake. 
it's not just about human survival or preventing or slowing a climate, climate crisis. It's actually about using the climate crisis as a way to create a financial pathway to restore nature for its own sake. And that's a bit changing the narrative because yes, everyone's talking about climate right now. It's really, really important. We're gonna hit major disruptions. It's gonna affect billions of people. It's going to have trillions of dollars of economic impact. Um, but we need to tap into a deeper motivation if we're actually going to solve this problem. Um, and that to me is getting in touch with the with ecological consciousness, the fact that we are intimately connected with our surroundings and we're doing this because it's beautiful. And that's that's really it. And we can do it in a way that creates a cultural context for how the actual company is run itself that like sets a precedent that business doesn't have to be bad, right? It doesn't have to perpetuate the same unintended consequences and sort of perverse incentives that that profitable companies have had forever. And um, yeah. So knowing what you deal with, with, uh, with Ecolabs and all that you've had with, um, with Earthshot getting that started, what advice would you have for somebody sitting out there with an idea or a thought and they go, I don't know if I can make a difference. What would you tell them to do to, to maybe give them that little nudge? Just do it. Do I it. mean, honestly, it's sometimes it can feel hard, but if you are on the right track where you're really like tapping into your deep motivation that you know what you want to do. You know the sort of world you want to see. And you have a clear idea of a solution to a specific problem. Like life can be very supportive. Um, one of the things that, that Earthshot that we've been constantly surprised by, in a way, is how easy it has been. Um, not because we're not tackling like very complex, hard issues, but the amount of support that we get is incredible because we can't solve this alone. We can't just be like, hey, we, you know, we're two smart guys and we're gonna go change the world and like be armchair scientists or like, yes, we just designed all these systems and now everyone uses them. It doesn't work like that. We need a massive coalition to be able to affect change. It's, an, it's totally an illusion that a couple people do everything. You know, whether you're Elon Musk or not, one person doesn't do it all. It's a massive coalition of support and that support comes from having a very noble, beautiful cause and being very intelligent and relational about how we go about addressing real problems with concrete and intelligent solutions. And if you have that, um, just go do it. And if you need support on coming to what is the specific thing, join our Slack channel and ask for help. How do people get involved with you if they wanna take the next step? Yeah, so easiest ways, go to the website, earthshot.eco. You can join the Slack channel, which is a group of you know, a couple thousand people that are passionate about this theme and want to contribute, find their place in the climate crisis and their own you know, way of contributing. Um, also join the newsletter. If you're an investor or policymaker, you know, do commercial, you know, large commercial debt financing or project financing or you know vc type give us a call um we're going to be our 
our goal in the next six months, we, we just raised a $7 million seed round in the last week, which is a great start. Um, and that only goes so far. And what we would like next is to raise a billion dollars to go do land restoration and develop a strongly profitable model for reforestation and water restoration as an investable asset class. So we can direct really, really large amounts of infrastructure level capital towards this problem. So if that's you, give us a call. Now, when this all rolls out, it would be as simple as going to the website and putting your address in and it would tell you what your options are. I mean, is that the ultimate usage of, of hands-on with this? Exactly. So join, you can join the newsletter first because there's a waiting list at the moment. We'll release, we'll release LandOS, which is the operating system for land management, um, to the public in about six months. It's quite a complex system, so it's going to take us more development steps. Um, but then, yeah, you go type in your address or click on your parcel, and it will tell you everything you can do with that land and the current state of that land. It's like, here's what you're doing, and here's what you can do. And if you want to go do conservation, reforestation, avoided deforestation, water restoration, land use conversion, here's how you get paid for it. And here's who's going to pay you for it. And here's a check for you to go do that restoration. Um, so the, the full land restoration project development pathway. Sounds interesting. Well, hey, yeah, good luck with this. I wish you all the success in the world. I mean, it'd be It'd be great to see something actually make a difference. And you sound pretty optimistic about it. I am. Um, and, you know, our, our good luck is the world's good luck. And that's why this is both a fun, why, why this is a fun ride, because it is aligned with what people want. And, um, yeah. Listen, Troy, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. Troy Carter, the CEO of Earthshot Labs. And we'll put the information up on uh, at the end of the podcast so people can get a hold of you as well. That's going to do it for this episode of the Move the World podcast. We hope it motivates you. If you have an idea, if you're thinking about something, but you just don't think it's going to make a difference, follow Troy's example and just step out there and try to move the world. We'll see you next time. <laughs>